tonight we're looking at Exodus chapter 3 and we're kicking off the series. Now my heartbeat for this series has been um, to really look at the path that Israel takes in the wilderness to the promised land as they're walking with, with God led by a cloud of a fire by day, a cloud of smoke by day, and a pillar of fire by night is to see their redemption, what they do wrong because they constantly disobey the Lord and fall into sin and have to be punished for that, but also the redemption that, that they find and how Moses is a big part of that and how Moses' testimony relates to a lot of us today. So it literally is a tour through Exodus and Deuteronomy to see how they follow the Lord, what we can learn from their mistakes, what we can learn from what they did right, and what we learn from Moses' testimony and how God interacted with Moses. But then always, no matter what, the star of every sermon series, the star of every sermon is not Moses, it's not Israel, it's not me, it's not you, it's Jesus Christ, amen? And so what I'm going to excited to do tonight is to look at Exodus 3 in the lens of the New Testament. What does Jesus do in regards to Exodus 3 when he comes along in the New Testament and begins his public ministry? And so Jesus is always the focal point, but we are going to focus on Moses tonight and his testimony. Now, if you're taking notes, I'll go ahead and give you the title. I want you to write this down at the top of your notes tonight. The title is, I am who I am. I am who I am. The, the name that the Lord is going to give Moses that we're going to see in a moment, <coughs> excuse me, the name that the Lord is going to give Moses when Moses asks, who should I say is sending me? And that's the title of tonight's message, I am who I am. A lot of us are looking for redemption a lot of us are looking for hope. We just don't know where to go, or we do know where to go. It's the Lord, but we don't really want to surrender because going to, going to the Lord means laying down our way, which is very hard. And so I don't know what your story is. I don't know where you are in your life tonight, but I want to tell you this. Jesus Christ loves you. He died on the cross for your sins, and he rose from the grave, and in him is all the fullness of joy and redemption that you could ever find. Has God been good to anybody in here? Amen? I'm telling you, whether you believe that or not, listen, I'll tell you, it's... Uh, it's proven time and time again in Scripture. It's proven by testimonies, and I'm praying that that would be your testimony tonight if it's not already. Everything you're looking for can be found in Christ. Your identity, your joy, your redemption, everything you can find in Jesus Christ. He is sufficient to supply all your needs. He is the provider. He is the good shepherd. And so tonight, as we look at Exodus, let's remember a few things. Now, in Exodus chapter 3, as we come up on this, some of you are very familiar with this and you love this text. Some of you have no idea what Exodus is about, and there's people all in the middle, and that's fantastic. We're going to work through it together. The only way we know how, together. God bless you. I think I heard a sneeze, but I was talking. It was hard to hear. I'll get back on my game in a little bit. Exodus chapter 3 is the famous text, of course, where we find the burning bush. Moses' encounter with the Lord. Now, let me give you a few reminders, though. This is later in Moses' life, but still very early in his story, as Dakota said. Now, God's chosen people, the Israelites, find themselves in slavery in Egypt. They're forced to do terribly hard labor. They're doing it barefoot. They're being mocked and embarrassed. They are being terribly mistreated in Egypt. <clears throat> and God, what he's going to say is he's going to say that he has heard his people's cry. They have cried out to him, and it has made its way to the Lord's ear. How many of you, when you cry out to God, you wanted to make it to God's ear? Listen, he hears their cry. He's going to hear their cry tonight. Now, God's about to unfold his plan of redemption. And over the next few weeks, the next seven weeks, as we go through June and July, I want us to look at the plan God unfolds to redeem Israel from slavery and how that is such a picture of what Christ did on the cross, too. That's one thing we're going to look at. Now, a lot of us can probably relate to Moses. We can relate to the fears, the insecurities that he had, the trials that he had. 
even though none of us have probably had to rescue a nation out of slavery before. If you have, let me know. We'd love to do a testimony video on you. <laughs> It'd be a great story. We relate to Moses' fears, insecurities, the pride that he shows, the ego, the lack of confidence that he has. We relate to what he goes through, and it's very powerful to study it. And so as we read chapter 3, reminder, this is after Moses has murdered the Egyptian. He's committed murder before this. And up until this point, Moses has been a meek, lowly shepherd for 40 years. I'm going to put the timeline of his life on the screen for you in a moment so we can pick it apart. But Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years God choosing him as the instrument to rescue a nation makes no worldly sense logically, but it makes all the sense logically through the lens of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what you have to understand. When God begins to unfold his plan, a lot of times it doesn't make sense from a worldly standpoint, Devon, but it will always make sense from a heavenly standpoint. God has a plan. And so tonight, let's look at Exodus chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And there's a few things I'm going to point out tonight. I have two things to walk away with. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, and this is very fascinating, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Now let me point out to you for a moment. Notice that God did not speak to Moses until he had Moses' attention. Don't miss that. Moses first investigated the supernatural event he was seeing. That's when God spoke. That's massive. And then I'll point out this to you. What's the very first thing God said to Moses? I promise it's not a trick question. His name. Think about this for a moment. A chapter that's all about God's name, the very first thing God says to Moses is Moses' name. Man, let me say something. That's a massive encouragement because Moses may be a lowly, meek shepherd who doesn't even have his own flock. Remember, he's shepherding shepherding his father-in-law's flock. He doesn't even have his own flock right now. A lowly, meek shepherd, and yet still God comes to him to let him know God knows his name. God sees Moses. God knows Moses. I'll give you a great encouragement that you see throughout the New Testament too. God knows you. In fact, he created you when you were in your mother's womb. He formed you and stitched you together beautifully. God knows your name. He knows you. He sees you. He does because he created you. And he will speak to you when you give him your attention. But some of you, your attention is on everything else in the world. You're wondering why you can't hear from God. It's because you're not even turning towards him to hear if he's speaking or not. God will speak. The question is, are you and me listening? Are we paying attention? Now, before I keep reading, I just, and these are just little bitty things that I don't have time to dive into, but I want to give them to you because I think they're too fascinating. Look at 3 verse 6 for a moment. Look at 3, verse 6. So verse 5 says this. Do not come closer, God said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. So he's humbling Moses here. It's, it's no more humble than to have your shoes off and to be barefoot and to not even be able to come closer. Literally, Moses is getting closer and God's like, stop. There's a separation between God and Moses. God is holy. Moses is not. That's dangerous. 
Okay, that's da- Moses is sinful. God is holy. That's dangerous. But God is allowing himself to be heard. He says, stop. Do not get any closer. That's for Moses' own good. <laughs> that's what's amazing. That's for Moses' own good. He's stopping Moses. He's slowing him down. And then he says this in verse 6. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Woo! <laughs> it's going all through Genesis to tell Moses who he is. Moses then, I love this, hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses is afraid to look at God. You know what's so fascinating, though? And I'm going to make a point out of this, and I really hope you don't miss this, because this is just, this is for free. This is a tidbit. I'm telling you, this is just a little nugget that you get in your bag with the food that you ordered with your burger and your fries. This is a little nugget you get extra. Appreciate you. (laughs) Later in Moses' life, he requested to see God. Right here, he's afraid and hides his face, but later in his life, he requested to see God. In fact, I'll take you there. After Moses, watch this, after Moses had spent more time with God, he began to want to see God. Watch this, Exodus 33, verse 17 to 18 says this, the Lord answered Moses. I'll give it a moment to come up on the screen. Here it is right here. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. Oh, you can't get any better than that. And then verse 18 says this. Then Moses said, please let me see your glory. Man, that's a shift, is it not? From hiding your face in fear to requesting to see God Almighty's glory. You know what changed? One thing, intimacy. What changed with Moses is he had spent more time with God. He had spent more intimate time with God. And once you begin to spend more intimate time with God, you don't want to hide yourself from God. You want to see God. I'll give you this. Here it is. It's on the screen. Intimacy with God impacted how Moses desired and viewed God. In fact, the more time he spent with God, the more he wanted to see God. And this is just the testimony of Moses. And I'll tell you something, I'll apply this to your life today. If you begin to spend more time with God, you'll desire to see God more in your life. You will. Some of you are wondering why you lack desire for God. The reason why you lack desire for God is because you're lacking in intimacy with God. Once you begin to get your intimacy back with God, your desire will increase. We see you at Moses. The more Moses got to know God, the more he came to him and said, please let me see your glory. I've got to keep going because I'm not at point one yet. Let's keep reading verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their their oppressors. (laughs) Professors. (laughs) (laughs) Professors. They're crying because of their professors. I have got them out of school. (laughs) No. (laughs) Man, it's been a great day. Heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. And I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land, that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Skip down with me to verse 10, if you will. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, here it is, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? A question all of us have asked in our life at one point, a question we ask probably a lot more often than we would ever admit to. Who am I? 
Moses says, who am I to go stand before Pharaoh and try to rescue a nation? Who am I? God's going to answer, but not how Moses expects, not how even you and I would expect. Verse 12, he answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Moses knew he needed a name. He needed to tell them who was sending him. You know why? Because names have power especially God's name. God's name has all the power in the world. It has all the authority in the world. And as soon as God gives Moses his name, Moses has all the authority and power he needs. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm excited to be back, man. I'm so excited to be back tonight, amen? I'm telling you, come on, man. It feels so good to be back. Been too long. Verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Can't nobody else say that. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. I got two things for you. Here's the first one. Number one. Well, we learn from this text very clearly. Here's one thing I'll give you. Number one, your humility is more important than your abilities. Can I get an amen tonight? Your humility is, God bless you. That was stout. Your humility, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get any, don't let me offend you. Your humility is more important than your abilities. One thing we learn from looking at Moses' testimony and how God responds is that God's looking for humility. Now let's remember for a moment as you write this down. There was a time in Moses' life where he had a massive ego. Let's not forget here. I mean, we love Moses. He's a hero of the faith for sure, but man, he made mistakes. He sinned. As great as he was, he was a sinner, just like all of us. Moses had an ego. There was a time when he was a lot younger, a lot stronger. A time when he had so much confidence in himself. One of those situations is what we talked about a minute ago when he murdered the Egyptian. He took matters into his own hands instead of letting God deal with it. He took matters into his own hands and committed murder. Something like in our culture today, we're like, man, I I would, you know, never. Like, that's awful. The worst of the worst, if you will, right? We view that in our culture. And Moses committed murder. When he saw an Egyptian striking down a Hebrew, he committed murder. But the Moses we read in chapter 3 is very different. There's not a lot of confidence here. (laughs) There's not a lot of ego here. I mean, you read this and you... You don't see a whole lot of ego. You see somebody who's very meek, very lowly. And that's because he was. Now, we all know Moses was born at a time when Pharaoh announced that all male children would be killed. But I want to show you the timeline of his life. Here it is on the screen. This is very important. You can take a picture of this or do whatever you want. But from age 0 to 12, he was protected by Pharaoh and was trained by his real mother. Then he gets to age 13, and from 13 to 40, he was trained by Pharaoh on the skills needed to run Egypt. So understand, when he was 40 years old, that's the height of Moses's, if you will, self-confidence and pride. This is where he gets to the point where he kills the Egyptian out of impulse. This is the trained, strong, forward, direct Moses, right? This is the one who is making decisions, big-headed in a lot of ways, and then Age, 80, age 41 to 80, excuse me, is the next one. God 
supposed to be sorry. That's a typo on my part. God teached Moses. Ugh. Sorry, Hannah. She's, my wife's an English teacher. I bet she's cringing right now. That's a typo on my part. God taught Moses. I told him my GPA in high school, so they're not surprised. God, I'm going to just say, God taught Moses. God taught Moses. Humility. Now we all feel human. Ain't it nice to know your past is human? Amen. God taught Moses humility through being a shepherd. And then at age 80, Moses has become literally what Numbers 12, 3 describes as the meekest, most humble man on earth. Gosh, man, that's stout. So for 40 years, Moses lived in the desert. For 40 years in Midian, he was a shepherd. And at this point in his life, he's so lowly and so meek, he's described as the meekest man on earth. Let me make a point to you, as Dakota said. Age 40, Moses was strong, prideful, trained to be a leader, yet this is not the Moses God called to save Israel. At the height of Moses' training, God sent him to the desert to deal with sheep. You think about that for a moment. There's a lot of power in that. I don't even have to break that down. At the height of Moses' worldly strength and power and training, God was like, yeah, you're gonna spend 40 years as a shepherd becoming so lowly and meek because once you get lowly and meek enough, I'm gonna be able to use you. So he sends him to the desert. I'd send the confident one, wouldn't you? I mean, when you think about the world's leadership, what do we do, Kaylee? We look for the strongest looking leaders. We don't look for meek. None of us wanna look meek. Every single one of us is trying to prove how strong we are. See Nelly? Not just him, but all of us. Every single one of us, we don't wanna look meek. We don't wanna look weak. The very thing we're so desperate to be seen as Humble and meek is what God is looking for the most out of us. Isn't that crazy? But that's how the world will distort it. The world will make you think that you have to be some strong, polished, put-together person to be used when really God is looking for a humble, humble heart. That's why God is more concerned with your humility than he is your abilities because he gave you those abilities anyway and he can take those abilities back too. So why in the world is God concerned about what your abilities are? God bless you. God is looking for a heart. And if you're an an MA and doing ministry this summer, wherever you are uh, doing ministry on mission trips, whatever, this is perfect for those in ministry. God does not need you to be all put together in the most polished, perfect looking person. He's looking for somebody humble, meek, and lowly. That's why anytime somebody comes and talks to me about my sermon, the first thing I tell them is, man, I hate public speaking. And I'm being honest. I hate being in front of people, man. I don't like the spotlight. Like I I got so nervous to ever speak in front of a crowd. 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago. So I can't take credit for any kind of preaching. I don't want to. <laughs> That's foolish. And man, whatever ministry you're doing, why would you want to take credit for that? If it's life change, it's got to be God. It's not you anyway. <laughs> Whew, man, God is looking for a humble heart. But we're all focused on what we can and can't do. God is just focused on your heart, the posture of your heart as you live your life, as you go through your life. While the world looks at outward abilities. God is looking at inward humility. We don't have to feel the pressure to prove ourselves as Gabby Toledo so beautifully wrapped in the video. We don't have to look to prove ourselves. In fact, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, when the Lord's speaking to Samuel and they're looking for a king, look at what God says to him. It's an amazing, amazing verse. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I've rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, 
but the Lord sees the heart. That's why I love my team. That's why I love Dakota. That's why I love Delaney. That's why I love McKenzie. Because each one of them, it's not about what they can and can't do. It's not about their abilities. When I look at them, I see humble hearts who love you and want to serve you, who care about your spiritual growth. That's why I love Dakota, Delaney, and McKenzie, because they care about your spiritual growth. That's why I love this ministry. That's why I love being a part of the view, because the view is something special. God has anointed this place. He has for a very long time. And we got a lot of people in here who are not perfect, but a lot of people who just want to, man, live their lives for Jesus and glorify him in whatever way they can. So I love being a part of this ministry. God's looking for a humble heart. There's more on this, though, because the Bible is very clear. The Bible doesn't play no games when it talks about relying on God or relying on yourself. See, God took the 80-year-old Moses because the 80-year-old Moses would rely on God, whereas the 40-year-old Moses would not. When looking for a leader, God didn't choose strong and self-confident, self-reliant. He chose meek and reliant on him. I'll give you this. When you rely on God instead of yourself, life is so much better. Isaiah 26 verse 4 says this. Trust in the Lord forever because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. You can rely on him. Not only that, but John 6 verse 63 Jesus says this, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh, the flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. Have you come to the point where you realize that your flesh craves sin? Our flesh is of no help. Our flesh is only of hurt. What you want apart from the Lord is always going to be what is not best for you and what is not honoring for the Lord. Our flesh craves to lie. Something you never hear in a pulpit often, lying. You know, I think the statistic is 10 minutes. If a 10-minute conversation passes between two adults, there's at least three lies told in the span of that 10 minutes. You can look at the statistics. I may be off, give or take, but they're crazy. I've done some research on them when I've done sermons on lying and words. Our flesh craves lying because we want people to believe whatever we want them to believe. Our flesh craves, here it is, don't leave. Our flesh craves sexual sin. Man, we... There are some of us in here tonight, and you probably are shocked to hear this at a summer kickoff. There are some of us in here tonight who are addicted to pornography, and we have no idea how to get out of it, and we feel like we're hopeless, and it's ruining our lives. I know you're here. Can I tell you there's hope? There's power in Jesus, but you know what you've got to do? You've got to find somebody godly, and you've got to talk to them about it. Because like I told Bellevue when I preached on Sunday morning, as long as you have something in the dark, it's going to keep pulling you into the dark. But as soon as you get it out in front of you, that's why David says, my sin is ever before me in Psalm 51 because he's taking his sin and he's put it in front of him and he's getting it towards the light. And when you bring your sin to the light, you step into the light with it. <laughs> and you start finding restoration. You start finding healing. I believe there's people in here tonight at this kickoff who will find healing and restoration from sexual sin, whether it's with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your screen, whatever it is, there is freedom in the name of Jesus. Find somebody godly you can talk to. There's people here. There's counselors here that would love to talk to you. So that you don't have to live in chains no more. So that you don't have to live as a slave no more. If you don't know Jesus, you are still living in darkness. You're in chains. When you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus' resurrection, those chains are broken, man, and you have eternal life. And some of you, I pray, will make that decision tonight. But there's others of you who are believers, who have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. And you don't have chains, but you're convincing yourself there's chains. Jesus has broken them and you're trying to put them back on. 
I don't know who needs to hear that right now, but I know it's somebody. Stop convincing yourself you're a slave. You're not. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20. There's freedom in Christ. There's freedom when you bring things to light. And then, of course, a staple. You can't talk about relying on the Lord and not read this. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Life verses for sure. Tattooable verses for sure. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not, what? Rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make straight your path. That's the reason of you, that's the reason, God bless you. That's the reason some of you are having such a hard time getting right with the Lord. How can you get right with a God that you're not willing to rely on? That's the reason why you and your relationship with the Lord seems like it's always at odds. It's because the first step to loving God is trusting God. That's the whole point. That repentance is literally, watch, trusting that you could do nothing over your sin. You couldn't pay the price. You couldn't pay the penalty. That worst sin, that sin that you hate so much that lives in your brain, that you have so much shame and guilt on that you just can't get rid of, Jesus Christ knows that and died on the cross for that sin. That sin died on the cross and rose from the grave of it. And when you repent, you are turning from it and there is so much trust involved. You're trusting that Jesus paid the price for that sin. It's hard to love a God that you can't trust. The last thing I'll give you on this and this will be on the screen is prideful people rely on themselves for things they can never provide for themselves. Whenever I find myself in this place, I can always point it back. Whenever I find myself prideful, I'm relying on myself that I can never, for stuff that I can never provide for myself. I told a story one time on a Sunday morning. One of my favorite things growing up was to hang out with my papa, my grandfather. I called him papa. I don't know if you have a papa. You called him papa. I have a, a papa, a grandfather. And uh, man, he was one of the Best grandfathers you could ever have. He bought me comic books, came to have lunch with me on Friday at school when you could have somebody come sit with you. And I used to think I was so cool when he would come and sit with me and I'd get to sit at the middle table, you know, in the cafeteria in fifth grade. Felt like a big wig. <laughs> he would come have lunch with me on Fridays. And for me, man, I don't know about how you are, but I am like deathly afraid of heights. Anybody else afraid of heights willing to admit it? Amen. If you're not afraid of heights, you are like a psycho about it. Like you just love it. <laughs> Like, man, you either are terrified of it or you will, like, jump out of a plane and not even check the parachute. Like, you, there's really no in-between. I'm telling you, it's crazy. I hate heights. I hate heights now. I have no problem flying or getting on a roller coaster. But if it comes to, like, what's those things called, Hannah? Like, the little ropes course where you're walking up high and you're, like, you could literally fall. Like, man, that stuff, stuff makes my bones shake, man. I can't do that. Like, I can't do it. And, man, when I was real little, my grandfather, my Mimi, and my papa had a swing set in the backyard, right? And they had a... Man, you could, you could have the big swing, you had like the little swings, and then you have the monkey bars. I used to hate the monkey bars. I don't know how y'all are, but man, I could never make it across. I didn't do a whole lot of push-ups as a kid. I was a little smaller. 
So I'd always be climbing across the monkey bars. You know, you go, bar, you go bar for bar and you get about like four or five across and then what happens? Your arms start shaking. You ever felt that feeling? Some of the guys that lift weights are like, no, I ain't never felt that feeling. <laughs> no, Daniel, I don't know what you mean. I go across the monkey bars with my pinky finger. That's Deco. Deco go across with a pinky finger when he a kid. <laughs> man, I could never do it. And I wanted to so badly. And I'll never forget, man, I was really young and it was such a simple story, but I've never forgotten it in my entire life. I was going across the monkey bars and I got to that point where I felt my arms starting to shake. And I was real tired and I couldn't hold on no more. And I was like terrified of falling. I was scared of it. And so I got to that point where I was shaking. I was looking down at the ground. And my papa, of course, six foot, strong. He was a runner. He was a, a bicyclist. He would ride bikes. He would train. He trained in like marathons and stuff. Like he did a whole lot of athletic stuff. My grandfather was in great shape. And as I was hanging there, I remember he walked right up behind me. And I couldn't see it but he had his arms right underneath, like my armpits right here, but he wasn't touching me. He was just like this, but I couldn't see it because I was holding on. I was so focused on how weak I was in this moment. I couldn't see his arms. And he came up behind me and he said, if you let go, I'll catch you. Now me, I was a kid of little belief. I was like, no, you won't. I'm gonna fall and break both ankles. I'll never play outside again. My summers are over. And he, he would just say it one more time. He would say, if you let go, I'll catch you. And there was this one time when I was hanging there that I let go. And I, I felt myself drop for one second, and then I stopped. And I felt his hands catch me right here. And it was one of the strongest embraces I've ever felt because I thought I was heavy. My arms were so weak, I was shaking. Yet to my papa, he caught me like it was nothing, holding on to me with my fingertips. And then he carried me the rest of the way across the monkey bars. It's a beautiful illustration. It ain't complicated, but I'll tell you this. Some of you are right here where I was. You are trying to hold on with all of your strength and it's failing. Because every time in your trials and your battles and your storms that you try to hold on with your strength, you will fail. You can't get across on your own. Whatever it is, money, career, relationships, if you're doing it on your own strength, your arms are shaking. And you know that feeling. It's the feeling of, of pressure, of fear, of worry, of anxiety, of doubt. And you're shaking. And God is right there saying, hey, if you will let go and rely on me, his righteous right hand that he promises all through scripture is what will catch you and will hold on to you and carry you through your trial. It's exactly what he did to the Israelites when they get to the Red Sea and they have nowhere to go. What did Moses say? Stand and be quiet. God will fight for you. They didn't part the sea. God did. <laughs> God made the way and carried them through and closed it on their enemies. Some of you are shaken because you are relying on all your intellect, all your knowledge, all your skills, all your abilities, all your wisdom, all your strength, all your friendships, all your money, all your ministry background. You're relying on everything else except the Lord. And you're going to keep shaking. And you're going to keep hurting. And it's going to be hard to get across. That's why Moses to me says, who am I to go I know I can't go. God doesn't say anything about who Moses is. God tells him who he is because once Moses has an understanding of who God is, God understands that Moses will then be able to carry out the mission. For some of you, tonight is about understanding who God is. That just as my papa with his fingers could hold my entire body and life up in that moment, what you're so worried about, what you're so afraid of, what you're so insecure over, God can hold so easily with his righteous right hand. If you'll trust, if you'll let go and let him catch you. And whatever it is you're walking through, stop relying on you to do it 
and rely on God to do it. I've got one more thing for you. Number two, if you're taking notes, I'll give you one more thing. Number two, God's power is available to the powerless. It's an illustration that can be used so many ways, but at my most weak and most powerless in that moment, I felt all of my papa's strength. It was the very moment I let go and could do nothing for me that I felt how exactly strong my grandfather was in that moment. Moses, as he has become the meekest, weakest man in the whole world, at his weakest, he is finding out just who God is. Don't tell me God can't do a miracle with your weakness. Don't tell me God can't do an incredible work with your weakness. It's when he gets you weak that he can finally use you because you'll rely on him as a jar of clay. Everybody thinks this is a new name, this reveal, but this is something that's been revealed before. Yahweh. It's not a new name for God. In fact, Yahweh is mentioned 160 times in Genesis. I don't know if you know that or not. But quite literally, Moses' mother's name was Jacobed, which literally means Yahweh is my glory. This is a name that Moses would have been familiar with. And God reminds him and points him out of it. It's an incredible thing because God is reminding Moses of who he has been in the past in order to give him confidence as to who he will be today. God may have you here tonight because he's trying to remind you of who he has always been and how that will always continue to be the case. Now, I've got three subpoints for you. When you see the name I am who I am, there's three things that you can walk away with understanding, man, there's significance in that. Here's the first one. I am who I am means that God has no equal. God has no equal. I love the song, What a Beautiful Name. I know you do. That's an incredible worship song. I think that's timeless. I love the part where it, where it says, you have no rival, you have no equal. Right? I love that part. That actually didn't sound bad. <laughs> That actually didn't sound bad. What's up, Jeff Maxwell? Catch me out here next week. Just playing. I can't do that. It's not my calling. You have no rival. You have no equal. God has no equal. So understand this. If there is no rival, the only thing that can go on the other side of that equal sign for God is God. Where we mess up is we start putting other things on the other side of that equal sign. Let's be honest, don't we? If we're honest, a lot of times we believe that God equals marriage. That ends up being idolatry. That's when we begin to worship marriage. When we think that a person in marriage one day can provide the happiness that we, the joy that we need that can only be provided from the Lord. You can't put marriage next to God. You can't put your friends next to God. You can't put a pastor next to God. You can't put yourself next to God. I hate to be the one to give you the wake-up call tonight, but you can never go on the other side of that equal sign. And guess what? Be glad that you can't. <laughs> be glad. God has no equal. God has no rival. So whatever you're so afraid of, when you write it next to that equal sign, just understand it's always going to fall short every single time. God has no equal. He has no rival. I'll tell you this. I love Isaiah 40. It'll be on the screen. Isaiah 40, verses 25 to 26 say this. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name because of his great power and strength. Not one of them is missing. God has no equal. There is nothing in your life that you can put on the same level as God. And anytime you try to, it's going to cause misery. Not only that, though, B, God has always existed. 
and will always exist. As he gets ready to send Moses to the nation, to Pharaoh, God makes it clear this is his name forever. That God in his glory has always existed and will always exist. So when it comes to Pharaoh and Moses standing up to Pharaoh, when God says his name, I am who I am, here's what he's reminding Moses of. If you're scared of Pharaoh, understand this. I was here. Did you walk in those doors tonight worshiping an idol in your life? Is there anything that you can tear down in your life that's an idol that's above God? Because God has always existed and he will always exist. Which means in your testimony, God was there when you, as I said, were being formed in your mother's womb. God was there in your darkest moments. God was there for me as I sat in that Southwest Community College lobby. God has always been there for you. The question is, are you turning your eyes to see him? He's here for you tonight. He'll be here in the parking lot. Ain't nothing magical or special about this room. It's a gathering place. But when you go out and you get in your car and you ponder what you heard tonight, God is right there with you. If you're a believer, his spirit's living in you. But not only that, see, God relies on only himself to exist. Three things here that I am who I am confirms in God's plan of redemption for Israel. That's that God has no equal. God has always existed and will always exist. And God relies only on himself to exist. You and I rely on a whole lot of things to exist. Right now, we're relying on air conditioning because it's hot outside. When I have to go to the doctor and forget that I'm an adult, I rely on my mom to help me out. My dad's a mechanic. When I get in car trouble, I rely on my dad for a lot of things because I don't know how to fix my car the way my dad does. I rely on encouragement from my wife to support me in ministry. Man, I rely on food and air and so many different things, and so do you. You realize that God relies on nothing but himself to exist. Man, I'll tell you, that's an incredible thing. This is the name that God sends Moses with. This is the name we set our series up with, the great I am. I am who I am. And in true gospel fashion, when you jump to the New Testament, There's a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi who comes along, fully God and fully man. And when he starts doing his public ministry, he does what nobody else on this planet can do. And and lean in, don't, don't miss this. He does what nobody else on this planet can do. He takes the I am statements and he adds to them. He finishes them out. What Moses gets in the great I am, Jesus comes along thousands of years later and says, I am the bread of life when you're hungry. He fills in all the blanks. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody else could even say I am who I am because you and I change by the day. But Jesus comes along and doesn't just say I am, but he adds into it, showing that Jesus is not only the one, he is the becoming one because he will always become your need and meet it. Not always what you want. Oh, don't get it mistaken. Jesus will not become what you want at times, but Jesus is everything you need. The bread of life, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life, the light of the world. God's name is power. In Christ is power. My question for you tonight, how long are you going to continue to live without power? 
This is my final thing before I give an invitation. Man, some of you are sitting in a dark house in your life, and you know it. Let's be real honest. Some of you are just like me at times. You're living in darkness because you haven't turned to Jesus, who is the light of the world. You have no power because you are not listening and obeying the Holy Spirit. And I know that some of you came in here tonight and there's something wearing you down and you're sick and tired of feeling weak, of being tired, of being beaten down, of being discouraged, of relying on ministry results to give you satisfaction, on relying on the relationships of people to give you joy. Man, I know you're here because I'm cut from the same cloth. I'm the exact same way. There are so many times in my life while I'm living without the power that has been promised to me through the Holy Spirit of God. The question is, when are you and I going to get fed up with it and start praying and start getting in God's word to the point where we start living with the power that was promised to Moses, the power that we have from the Holy Spirit, which is a down payment for that which is to come. That's why I believe you're here tonight. I believe God drew you here on a summer night in June in this massive fellowship hall for us to worship, make much of Jesus' name, and for you and me to walk away understanding that we have power only in Christ, not ourselves and not our flesh. The flesh will only kill you and take away your life. You have access to power in your life. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Power to go share the gospel with people and see their lives change forever. You have power to overcome insecurities and fears and worries and not live as a slave anymore. You have power to forgive people. I bet there's somebody in your life who has wronged you that you've been holding on to bitterness for far too long. And if you would go in the power of the Holy Spirit and forgive them, they would experience the love of Christ through you like they have never experienced before. And you would experience freedom like you never thought you could. There's power. And it's offered to you tonight. My exhortation to you. Who you and I are. If our identity is not in Christ, we don't, have a, we don't have a chance. We don't have a hope. But when we place who we are in the great I am, in Jesus Christ, we find all the power and the joy and the hope we could ever have. Some of you are here and you hear that quietness in the room. Some of you are here, and I'm going to be real honest. If you die tomorrow, you have no clue what would happen. I can tell you what would happen for me, and it has nothing to do with the clothes I wear, the church I go to, my church attendance. doesn't have anything to do with my works. I can tell you where I'm going tomorrow, and it had nothing to do with my life. Do you know? And I'm not trying to scare you. Ain't no music playing. It ain't about emotions. I'm just telling you right here, point blank. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, if you have not repented and confessed him as your savior, friend, you are not on the path to heaven. And not just that, you are missing out on knowing your creator in this world right now. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, why wait? He loves you. He died for you. And he rose from the grave for you. And he's waiting for you to give your life to him.